Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Candace Creaseman Mowry, and this is Beyond Therapy. It only takes us coming together, making just one life better than we fan the flame. Hello, folks. It's Dr. Candace Creaseman Mowry here, and I can't quite believe it, but this is, in fact, the season finale of Beyond Therapy podcast. So to wrap up the season, I'm really excited to introduce this new series that will hopefully show up more than just at the end of every season that was so much fun to put together. So this is the first version of the Let's Get Critical series. And this is where um, Dr. Aisha Alkamlas and I are going to explore current social and cultural movements, moments, and events from a counseling perspective. So, enjoy. Critical. Welcome back, everyone, to Beyond Therapy. So today is going to be a real treat. Uh, We're going to talk about Harry and Meghan, and I think we all know which Harry and Meghan. Woo! Yes, and mental health. Uh, So I'm joined today by our Director of Operations and Self-Appointed Minister of Culture, Dr. Aisha Alkamlas. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Yay! Minister of Culture also sounds a lot like a Harry Potter title. Which is appropriate. (laughs) Oh, wow. Full circle, everyone. (laughs) Okay. So, okay, so this was your baby. Yes. (laughs) So, my brain child. So tell, yeah. us, tell us why, Harry and Megan. Um, I previously, like in my past lives, whatever, um, am infatuated with the royal family. And mostly not because I'm a colonist or colonialist or anything like that, but it's because they are so vastly different than anything else in our life. And I'm very attracted to subcultures. I think they're the coolest thing. So like any subculture, I've gotten really into glass blowing subculture, Hmm. like blade making. So all of the subcultures, because it's just so interesting. Anyways. So this is why I kind of like the, the Royals, because it seems to be this own subculture that just like, I don't think anywhere else engages with if they have a royal family that way. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, like kind of disclosure, I'm from Kuwait. And so Kuwait was a British protectorate. We were not a part of their empire. Okay. Even though when this was all happening, people kept trying, like when the queen passed, they kept trying to like show how many people, how many of her colonies like left her or something during her reign. Mm. And they threw Kuwait in there and some other Middle Eastern countries, which is not true. Mm. British culture has also has been like available to me in mm-hmm. Kuwait more. I mean, American culture as well, but like historically British culture was there more. So like my dad grew up on British um, TV more mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. Um, he learned Ig- English in Bristol, like that sort of stuff. Um, and the other thing that's interesting is that like in places that have royals mm-hmm. or a ruling like a monarch sort of family they don't to me it's also very different and so kuwait also has a ruling family but like very different like i went to school with the king's grandkids you know they were like n- normal people That's you know fancy sounding though yeah but like they just were there mm-hmm. you know so it was just like oh this is bob you know like it's so it, it's very very different and so of course also then there's the whole like childhood teen bop sort of tiger beat oh yeah who's cuter um harry or william 
And then just the fanfare of their weddings. That makes no, like, it's just, I love all of it. And Harry, I've always had a little bit of a affinity for because he's a little, he breaks the mold, let's say. say. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. Okay. As like an adult in kind of the mental health field, like being able, when he's actually come out and done all of this stuff, being able to actually see it from a mental health like standpoint mm-hmm. versus a social media blitz or, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah. that's why I'm just so interested. And like, especially he talks on topics of grief, which like I love as only a clinician can say, I right, love sure. grief. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it also just keeps pulling back like the weirdness that is this Royal family. Yeah. And I also find myself weirdly invested. I think mostly for me, it's been very recent, so I don't have a real long-standing relationship with the monarchy. Um, but when all the, the Oprah interviews started coming out mm-hmm. and he started talking about EMDR and then, you know, Megan's talking about depression, that's when I was like, well, okay, mm-hmm. I'll hear you out. Um, and I'm not sure yet if th- I feel like they are just genuinely philanthropic humans Mm -hmm. or if they are, you know, like standard celebrity narcissists. Yeah. I don't know. What's your read? That I don't know yet. I think they have to play an angle because uh, like how, what other job are they going to have? Like what other money-making are they going to have? So that's kind of where I'm like, well, you've got to do something to Mm -hmm. like, right? Capitalize on, I guess, what you're known for or what people might listen to you Mm -hmm, for. mm -hmm. But yeah, it is still a little, it's a little questioning. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know, but at the same time, it's fun for me. So I don't care. Let's (laughs) just roll with it. Keep putting your life out there. That's great for me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So our focus today is going to be on two different topics that seem really central to Harry and Megan's story and that are you know, ongoing topics in, in our own therapy work. Um, so we're going to be looking at family estrangement, mm-hmm. hot topic mm-hmm. and mental health stigma. Um, and we're just going to rock, paper, scissors to see who goes first. Which topic? Yeah. 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 Okay. Do you go on three or do you go after three? We like after, like my kids okay. right now are doing rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Oh, okay. So you, so you go on the shoot. shoot. Okay. okay. Are we ready for this? All right. I don't know what, what's considered winning. Going first or not going first? I don't know. Oh, oh. Yeah. I mean, I know what wins in rock, paper, yeah. scissors. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, are we ready? Okay. Rock, paper, paper scissors, shoot. shoot. Oh, oh, look at us. Okay. <laughs> rock, paper, scissors, shoot. <gasps> I win. You win. So does that, I guess that just yeah. means you pick if you want to go no, first well, I'll or not. No, I'll go first. Okay. We'll, we'll call that. Okay. Awesome. So the topic that I'm going to kind of spearhead a little bit is more of that family estrangement. Um, and why that also kind of hit home for me as well is because of the um, clientele that I also work with of the Arab Muslim population and um, clients that come from more collectivist cultures who are trying to figure out boundaries with a family member that kind of goes against a tra- their traditional family values. So I was like, okay, this is pretty interesting. So I'll talk about that. So um, we looked at a article that I don't have the title for right now. 
Oh, yeah, I don't think I do either. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can just go back and add it. Yeah. Anyway, I do know, though, that it was um, from 2018. Mm -hmm. So there it goes. Okay. All right. Real thing. I know a little bit. Um, and basically, it kind of looked at the phenomenon of estrangement and how people um, view people who are estranged, mm -hmm. um, both like say, and this was from a parent child. So the parent and the child, how they view them. Um, it looked at reasons for why this happened and then also just kind of like the communication. So it definitely like, you know, boundaries and having to even set such rigid boundaries has become a lot more mainstream lately, at least here in the U.S. and possibly other like Western cultures. Mm -hmm. And so with Harry and Meghan, it's also being played out on such a wide, huge screen like thinking about it now, actually, um, Kate Hudson and her brother, mm -hmm. um, they talk crap about their biological father all the time and that they have no, um, like connection with him, all of that. Like on father's day, they typically, one of them will come out and say, you know, they'll say it to Kurt Russell, like happy father's day. And then people will sometimes have backlash, like, well then get rid of his last name or whatever. But so I follow a lot That's of That's interesting. Um, but like that doesn't get any sort of that other than that little like snippet, but this Harry and Meghan thing mm -hmm. is huge. Yeah. Which, and I'm going to be jumping around, one of the things that came up is that there's also a lot more um pressure mm -hmm. on the mother, right? So like they're the people so so the, who they um interviewed or studied like they put a lot more pressure on the mom so like if the how good is the mom's relationship and so there is more pressure there and so i wonder because it was the queen mm. who had this like grandmotherly motherly mm -hmm. monarchy thing going on that harry was basically distancing himself from the queen. Like, I don't think there's been even that much conversation about what, like if it was his dad as the king, probably, but I mean, like, I think people were more taken aback because like what this was doing to the queen and how did, you know, the mm. queen, the queen mm -hmm. and him and this and all this stuff. But like people haven't even in my like consumption of the, the stuff haven't really, even been talking about like his dad right. as much as the queen. And I so wonder it's if like, it's how could you do, do this to your mother? It's n n very rarely. How could you do this to your father? Does that feel like the guilt <clears throat> trip? Uh, yeah. Yes. Like there's the judgment is more strong uh -huh. when it's like a mother. And the judgment she, is toward the child who is making the choice. I think both. I think okay. it goes, it can go both ways. Okay. Um, yeah. This, the judgment is always seems to always be more strong for the child mm -hmm. trying to cut ties, set boundaries than it is for the, the parent. Um, and at the same time, there is still understanding on some level that the parent has more like added responsibility, added power in that relationship. Like they were a contributing part to the issue. Mm -hmm. But when it's the, the child setting that boundary, there's more judgment on the child. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm also just thinking about like how many different narratives there are kind of depending on 
potentially the subculture that you're looking at it from. Because I'm thinking about certainly if you're in the South or if you're, you know, a part of like a Christian based kind of culture, Mm -hmm. then it's like a lot of those groups will. And I've heard this from clients, too, is that the messaging they get is there's really no amount of harm that you should ever consider leaving your family for. Like your family is your family, period. And then we've got, where do you think this narrative is coming from, though, that I, I also feel like I'm hearing a lot more of from clients and on social media around, like, what makes leaving or setting firmer boundaries, why is that suddenly cool? I think it's the whole, like, people are um, latching on to this sort of like developmental trauma. Mm. And I don't know if it's a, it's going to be a fad, Mm -hmm. you know, as like ADHD and trauma and depression, anxiety, like they've all been kind of fads, not, not that some of those people don't actually have it, you know, it's valid, but like, right. Like not everything is trauma. Not Mm -hmm. everything is depression. You're just sad. (laughs) Right. Yes. You had a bad day. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think that's possibly what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, you know, the positive side of this new uh, generation, what are they? The Gen Zers, right? Is that who they are? I think that's who's the newest. (laughs) Those Um, people. Who are kind of bucking, the traditions Mm -hmm. as much. Like I don't need to stay in a job that doesn't suit me. I don't need to stay in a relationship that doesn't suit me. Mm -hmm. And then trickling into their family unit. Yeah. I would assume. I wonder too, if that kind of a part of what I would imagine is also a millennial and a Gen Z aspect is this movement away from the nuclear family as being the Mm -hmm. gold standard, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, well, if really this mom and dad unit is for one, not representative of mm-hmm. most people probably at this mm-hmm. point, then like, why am I putting so much emphasis on trying to maintain these relationships, even if they're harmful for me? Yeah. Yeah. And I've even, I've had those conversations with my clients who are trying black and brown clients who are trying to distance themselves from their parents, realizing that they need that boundary, but they're, they're, traditional family value is really bucking up against it Mm -hmm. is discussing what comes from like the LGBTQ community of the family you choose, Mm -hmm. the family you make. There is, so let's also kind of just take a step back to what even estrangement is, right? So estrangement, they define as this kind of really regular natural phenomenon that happens where one or both parties um, are actively adjusting and negotiating their intimacy boundaries. So that can happen. um, Friendships, colleagues, families, you know, like everywhere. Um, And so you do see these like regular, like people break up, people get a divorce. Um, I also work a lot in the field of addiction where you have to detach. Um, So there are times that estrangement is completely normal and valid Mm -hmm. and has to happen. Would you say that then in this definition, that estrangement could include literally any renegotiation of boundaries or is it this more sort of all or nothing you're either in relationship or you're out of relationship with someone i think it's any okay on ongoing adjustment because yeah. i feel like i i hear that a lot from clients is they don't feel there's really a middle ground mm-hmm. you know they're coming in maybe acknowledging some sort of trauma maybe for the first time mm-hmm. you know especially when they folks go from you know my childhood was perfect to oh my gosh actually mm-hmm. I, you know mom or dad were terribly abusive to me. Mm -hmm. Um, that middle ground does not exist. Yeah. 
Yeah. So. And I think for a while it can't exist, mm, mm-hmm. you know, cause you can't, that creates too much dissonance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that so makes a lot of sense it for a while. Yeah. And there, this um, article also talks a little bit about um, accommodation strategies. One of them is technically ghosting where like you just oh. <laughs> ignore the person. Fade away. Yeah. yeah okay. Um, but that also can be like, and self disclosure. I've got a friend who like, the way that I handle, like when we've kind of gotten a little too close and I feel like my energy is mm-hmm. being sucked a little too much from me is I really like them and I would like to continue this relationship. And I don't know, honestly, how to voice you're a lot <laughs> at time. Like, I don't know how to say it in a nice or even productive way. So sure. sometimes I just don't respond to a text mm-hmm. as readily or will make an excuse to hang out you know, like I can't hang out because of whatever, mm-hmm. but that's also a, a type of accommodating and within that field of estrangement, yeah. we're, we're constantly trying to negotiate it. Okay. Um, so it sounds like things that I've done with clients that would be considered accommodating um, might include frequency of contact for mm-hmm. one form of contact. So mm-hmm. like I can email and text with this person, but I cannot be in the same room with them yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be determining levels of emotional sharing. So mm-hmm. I can talk about uh, this new book I'm reading. I cannot talk about how things are going with, you know, my partner who, mm-hmm. you know, and again, that feels like that touches on the LGBTQ piece for a lot mm-hmm. of folks. Getting back into it and kind of how I've seen this with Harry and Megan specifically. Mm-hmm. So one is... There's a lot of, so the common reasons that people, this article identified as reasons that the child is going to like choose to become estranged, Mm -hmm. betrayal, parental indifference, lack of support, lack of inclusion, lack of acceptance and abuse. All of those things happen. Yeah. For Harry and Megan. And not even like that he or she had to explicitly state, but we could see as, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as a person who lives how many ever miles away from them. Right. <laughs> and looking through the lens of whatever mm-hmm. you can see it. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting too. Cause I'm thinking about a couple of clients who, uh, were reflecting on, uh, really some of probably the most severe physical abuse I've ever heard Um, and how, how frustrating and uh, disorienting it was for there to be people in their lives who knew it was happening and yet who did nothing about it. So Mm -hmm. that is, I feel like kind of a, an important piece to name is like, what is the difference in terms of, uh, recovery from trauma and also relational recovery when mm-hmm. it's like visible to the world versus mm-hmm. really sort of hidden and secret. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And I mean, like Harry talks about that a lot, like they didn't do anything. They knew it was happening and they didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. And this is where I get super into his grief and the development uh, development of it because you hear him talk about like, it was so completely unaddressed his mother passing and Like he and his brother and everybody knew what was happening to her, like that the paparazzi were doing this Mm -hmm. and all of this sort of stuff. And it wasn't being addressed. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it just 
it's constantly is yeah. out of control mm-hmm. and keeps and it's come mm-hmm. again and again. So I think it's that complacency part on his, on his end that he never got over uh-huh. was never figured out. Yeah. And then I wonder how that shows up for you in, uh, especially if you're working with clients who have lost someone to substance use, because mm-hmm. that, that sort of, there was some sort of insidious cause for mm-hmm. this person's death. So like for Diana, it's this, you know, overwhelming sort of paparazzi presence that literally ended up causing a car accident. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of people don't necessarily have that yeah. piece around their grief, but how does that show up for substance use? I'm assuming there's like maybe more anger yes. to process. Yeah. And a lot of um, trying to finger point, trying to figure out what the reason was. Mm-hmm. Um, like we've got, so actually just in my very close knit circle. And so not even clients, um, circle of friends, two of my friends, um, siblings have passed from Mm -hmm. overdoses. And the part also that is why it can be so angry and trying to figure out and finger pointing is because maybe their level of use wasn't even like ignored or like known Mm -hmm. to some of the other people. So this really caught you off guard. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but you do see it like also, you know, with my clients and stuff, like one of the, it's really funny. Cause when we talk about like a chief enabler or who is an, who enables your addiction, mm-hmm. everyone says my dealer. Mm. Really? Really? That's interesting. What is the, what is the story behind that? Why would it be the dealer? They, because they're kind of viewing it as who enables me the most to use. Mm-hmm. Who sure. makes it the most possible? Yeah, I got The yeah, person who gives yeah. me this, the drugs. Yeah. And that is true. Mm-hmm. But it's also like all of the people who know you're a little off and aren't going to say anything. Yeah. The people who are cleaning up your mess. The people who, there's so many other, and to be honest, typically the real chief enabler is someone who is closest to you, either like a partner, a Mm. family member, a best friend or something who makes it so that you're able to continue to use because they're kind of cleaning it up and kind of shielding the rest of the world from what's happening. So, so my kind of limited experience in substance use is that like this, once you have acknowledged the problem and are in that stage of, being willing to make some changes is that you have to change people, places and things. Right. So what does it, if we're thinking about this in terms of estrangement Mm -hmm. and this dynamic that you're naming, where the person who is most likely contributing the most to Mm -hmm. ongoing use is someone that is very close. Mm -hmm. um, What does that process look like for folks when they're deciding whether or not they can maintain a certain kind of relationship with an enabler. Yeah, it's it's a huge process. And that's one of the things in the substance use community that we get so kind of worked up about that there's for it's never it's like talked about as a family disease, mm-hmm. yet the treatment options, the support for the family and by family, you know, it could be whatever is is not available. Mm -hmm. So the, it's the person who's using, that's the identified client who can go get the service. Um, watch, um, when a man loves a woman Mm. that identifies it pretty well Yeah, because there is other things that are going to come to light within that relationship that someone needs to, that they Mm -hmm. have to change. Um, someone also described it as, like the people are going to be kind of pushing you into to get sober, to get help, to mm-hmm. whatever. 
But then they're also been so used to pushing that now when you're maybe in recovery or whatnot, they're still going to be pushing. They're still getting, and they, they also have to have a completely, like have to completely change there. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times people have no idea that the other person has a role in this change at all. Wow. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking too, just as we're kind of, if we circle back to like uh, judgments and criticisms of estrangement in the context of substance use, um, I mean, it immediately makes me think of that, what I imagine is an awful show, Intervention. Uh, yeah. Okay. That figured, figured I was not supposed to be really into that. Um, okay. It's where it's like the separation, the estrangement is effectively the treatment. Yeah. You know, you threaten to abandon mm -hmm. someone mm -hmm. and that's supposed to be their rock bottom. Mm -hmm. So like, that's such a weird, mm -hmm. different narrative mm -hmm. than, oh, but can't you work it out somehow? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's because they're, and that I think comes also from the moral model of addiction, which is mm. like huge. Like our mental health is fraught with the moral model, right? It's you're a bad person, pray harder about it. Yeah. Um, you know, just get on a treadmill, yeah. get some serotonin, you'll be fine. That is, yeah. you've got the problem. Right. And if you just try harder, it will be fine. Um, but so, yeah, when it then just comes into a family, you still see that you try harder, Uh huh. you know, you try harder. Ooh. They're still your parent. You try harder. Which I mean, feels so emblematic of that rugged individualism mm -hmm. piece, you know? So, I mean, there's definitely, I think this really intense overlap between mm -hmm. just sort of puritanical culture and the moral model mm -hmm. of any sort of illness. I mean, cause it certainly, it extends even to, you know, physical yeah. illness a lot yeah. of times is that sort of blamey. Yeah way of approaching it. <clears throat> well, even so like, you know, in the Muslim religion that I, I'm sure there's something similar to it within Judaism as well, but like there is a part of the, I'm going to say Quran, but it could also be Hadith. So mm. nobody come at me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> way to guarantee someone's going to come at you, Aisha. But like there is, we learned it like in school, like we learned it, we have to memorize it where basically you can't even say like, if, or oof at your parents, which is basically like a huff oh, or an eye uh -huh. roll. Yeah. So do not, like, you cannot do that. And mm -hmm. that, like, your mother is worth, I don't know how much, like, all that, there's a whole lot in there about how the, you should, what the role of a child is to the parent, mm -hmm. what it means to be a good child. Mm -hmm. There's so much in there. Which, okay, um, this will be rambly, most likely and a bit stream of consciousness. Cause I'm thinking about the rules of being a good child and then putting that in the context of colonialism mm -hmm. and like a monarchy based kind of system. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder if from like an anthropological sociological standpoint, if some of those rules are intended to maintain the power structure, oh, you know? Yeah. So if, mom is worth so much, mm -hmm. but in a way that she's worth so much within a particular role, mm -hmm. then she's pumped up by, well, look at me mm -hmm. in this role. I wouldn't want to consider any other role because mm -hmm. this is where my value is. Yeah. And then kind of lather, rinse, repeat throughout the generations yeah. because you've trained children that the way to be a good daughter, son, whatever mm -hmm. is to maintain that status quo. Yeah. So yeah. that seems like if you put that on steroids, you've got Harry's situation. Yes. 
So you've got like exact, and he talks about, I've only gotten through the first seven chapters of his book, audiobook, because you then get to hear him talk it through, which <laughs> is hilarious. <laughs> also, I would like to just also point out because like the way it's written, I was like, are you really this eloquent? He, it was, a, he, he had a ghostwriter. So he like told someone and then they oh, kind of helped. I and have he, feelings about ghostwriters. Well, I don't know if it's technically, I don't know what it was, but he didn't, he, he's gotten word for word. It's not yeah. him. But anyways, um, it makes for an easier listen anyways. But he talks about how they referred to him as the heir and the spare. Because <laughs> that's the name of the book, right? Yeah, spare. spare. Yeah. But he's like, I didn't, he's like, I mean, it was d openly discussed. Like we were always called that basically. And it wasn't, he's, it didn't mean anything to him because right. If you're three, if you're four, if you grow up just being called the spare, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you don't, it's not, it's not until you're older that you can then kind of realize and see what that actually means. And you also have no peers. So you also have no one else in yeah. that role to be like, oh, now that I see it on the outside, that sounds awful. Well, and also, so apparently there's more, and I learned about this when uh, Kate had her third, but there's the air, the spare, and who cares? <gasps> yeah. Oh. How do you knowingly have a third child if that's going to be there? Like, I don't know. Storyline. I don't know. But like, I mean, if you think about it, like Prince Andrew is not in a heap of shit because he's the who cares he's or who whatever. Cares. Yeah. If you also kind of throw on grief on top of the fact that he was the spare to the heir mm -hmm. and the age difference, I think he said William was like 15 and he was 12. Yeah. So if you also think developmentally what you're understanding of the world is at 12 versus 15 mm -hmm. and the fact that most like I would assume and he says like Harry says in his book that he wasn't at least up until the part that I read um he it wasn't really discussed with him kind of what happened and it, it wasn't really processed in the way that we would hope yeah um parents passing would be processed with a child um but that also happens in like just a lot of sure. It's not just people yeah. historically, I think struggle the with grief. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I would assume though, that more support was given to William as the heir, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. a lot more about kind of wrapping his rep, his head around it, what that means, because he is the one that more he's shouldering a different burden, mm -hmm. which sure, he has his own stress like he's of that like knowing that but then it definitely creates like a uh repelling like conflict yeah okay. like yeah yeah whatever that oh gosh i mean that grief part i don't did you watch the um I'm i sure, can't yes yes <laughs> the kristen stewart diana movie that was not kristen stewart yes 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 kristen, yes, 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 yes yes um a little what's the weird. name of it um her name spencer spencer yeah um, that was some of the most heartbreaking stuff. Like the most heartbreaking thing I think was like one of the last scenes where she like escaped mm -hmm. from the Christmas ordeal. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had the boys with her and she pulls up to like a KFC uh -huh. and I was, all I could think about, and this is probably like a mom of two boys kind of situation where it's like, this is like one of the last moments. That oh she yeah. Like, so yeah. And see the other thing as well with all of that. And I think everyone keeps forgetting and they won't put into place is the age that everyone was when everything happened. She was 18 when they got engaged. Oh, no kidding. I didn't or know some, that. Or met or something yeah. like that. So of course she had 
like it, everything makes more sense when you put everyone's age into it, yeah, you know, right. from just a developmental lifespan mm -hmm. process. Yeah. And Harry now at 30, late thirties, okay. but like, if you also then put on the perspective of becoming a father point of view, whether Santa wrapped presents or not. Oh yeah. And I, that never ever would have come up in a conversation with my partner at mm -hmm. all until we had kids. Yeah. And he believes Santa does not wrap presents mm -hmm. and I believe Santa does. And we almost burned the house down. It got wow. that tense. Yeah. But so, you know, like different things are coming up mm -hmm. when all of a sudden now you are seeing mm -hmm. you have a child and like that whole you reparent yourself and yeah. how much reparenting you do when you have a child. Yes. So like he's going through it. Mm -hmm. I think that's such a good thing to point out too, because I feel like I have a lot of clients who becoming a parent or like learning that their partner was pregnant or whatever was like the turning point for them realizing that they had trauma yeah. within their family of origin, you know, because they start, especially once the baby is born, mm -hmm. right? It's like, and when they start to hit these sort of milestone ages mm -hmm. where the clients can think back to like, well, what was going on for me yeah. when I was six? Yeah. It's like, wow, I cannot imagine ever treating my child the way mm -hmm. this parent or this family mm -hmm. member treated me. Um, so yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense from this perspective of like, well, why now, Harry? Yeah. Like, well, because you may have had this real big reorganization of what your story actually mm -hmm. looks like. Mm -hmm. Also, some of the stuff that has definitely came up for me and my clients, as well as Harry, is that basically um, family disconnection and reconnection can really be heavily influenced by external pressure, which, right, is looking at social networks and also those internalized cultural expectations. Um, and for me also kind of what the, those idealized notions are of your culture and kind of what you think, um, what family should be. Mm -hmm. And then I think that is where it makes the pain of estrangement worse or more overwhelming, right? Mm -hmm. Because we have this idea of what family's supposed to be. And when you're the one who realizes that's not what it is mm -hmm. and now, and I have to do something about it, just the amount of pain that's in mm -hmm. there. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about a, another kind of perspective on that is how now I hear a lot, I think probably more socially than from clients directly, but about being the pattern breaker, mm -hmm. the person who is like gonna correct intergenerational trauma. So, I mean, that's so at odds with what may be the lived experience, which is, you know, being shamed or judged, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. so you've got this sort of sense of I'm playing this role that's mm -hmm. critical to sort of healing the past. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, I'm just getting a whole lot of shit for it. Yeah. Yeah. And we talk a lot of, uh, with me and my clients as well about how everything like, you know, it's so isolating. If you're dealing with anxiety every day, depression, substance use, family trauma, right? It's people don't always know you're going through it. So just you having to deal with it that day, it, it can be very isolating, mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm. um, Taylor Swift said had a good comment. <laughs> Did she though? I am. Okay. Really, you're going to see how much I, I evolved. Well, it was in that folklore 
documentary that, thing yeah, she okay. did yeah. where she just talked about how there are people, you know, just that whole thing that like no one gives you like an attaboy or like a gold star just for waking up, like even yeah. though you're going through so much, like right. just um, putting my pants on was a big deal today. Just, mm -hmm. you know, so, but also what this said is that like estranged kids are looked at as more competent, mm. but not as warm. So they That's see you as a skilled person, but maybe not a good person. Oh, wow. That feels like, I mean, my first search is to like add the layer of gender to that, uh -huh. right? And so female identified mm -hmm. person, how you were really expected to be warm. Mm -hmm. And so that feels like that would be really challenging to be the competent, but then probably the bitch, right? Yeah. Yeah, which is what, and that also looked at it, like they typically, outsiders, and even maybe some like, right, the parent who's like shocked by it or whatever the family, will see it, will try and pinpoint like, this is why this happened versus like, oh, this was years and years in the making. Mm -hmm. So that compared and like added with the warmth and stuff, the exit, everything was pointed at her. Right. She was the reason. Uh-huh. And she's not a warm person. She's a, and then that feels like you can't talk about the exit piece without there being the racial mm -hmm. piece of it too, mm -hmm. right? Which is that, which I think that they both kind of got hit on that front, right? Mm -hmm. This is Harry sort of like going after someone exotic, yeah, you know, and then she is this object, the sexual object. Which, and then they, one of the documentaries I watched was just them talking about how like the monarchy really could have like used her as uh to like and yeah he even was saying it but i was like one woman is right. going to make like cross the aisle for like your entire yeah. so black and brown like colony basically the definition of tokenism yes yeah <laughs> i was like i don't think it's gonna work mm -hmm. out harry mm -hmm. yeah like it wasn't yeah it definitely wasn't gonna work in the way that they yeah. thought that it could um but two things that they both talked about and whether they were coached on it, I don't know, but they said it. And so it was good is one. He talked about how um, once all of that happened, it opened his eyes mm. to more of was I. Oh, my God. Why am I blanking on this word? Where you're not. Well, racist, right? <laughs> but not that like obvious. What's the underlying racism? Uh, Hidden racism? What uh, is that word? Bias? Yeah, sure. I think he called it his unconscious bias. So oh, okay, let's call okay. it that. Um, but, you know, he he was like able to say, like, I wasn't perfect before. Mm -hmm. Don't having being in this relationship opened my eyes mm -hmm. to what the experiences are for people who don't have my privilege. Yeah. So good for saying that again, yeah. whether you were coached to say it, I don't know, but you still said it. So mm -hmm. like, good job. And then two, the other thing that she said that made me kind of like hear her a little bit more was that she passed a lot for white. Mm -hmm. So she was never treated as much as like a black woman. Right. Until she got with Harry. Yeah. Like, cause she also, she grew up with her mother's well and her father's, but she's so much lighter compared to her mother and like the family and, mm -hmm. and community that she was in. So she talks about how like they wouldn't think that her mom was her mom. And that honestly, those two pieces I think are some of, what I feel like are, are some of the most important pieces of their story, because, you know, I think Megan's you know, willingness to share that she passed a lot and that then she has this very different experience with, mm -hmm. you know, entering the Royal family. 
Um, I think that carries so much shame for a lot of biracial people. Uh, So just to name that out loud, that it's a thing that, you know, understandably Mm -hmm. happens because, of course, you would prefer to not be treated Mm -hmm. and harmed in the way that most black and brown people are. Mm -hmm. And then for Harry to name that, uh, yeah, I've had to do a lot of work on myself Mm because it's funny because there was some Glennon Doyle. It was the episode where she was talking about her uh, recent diagnosis with anorexia. Mm -hmm. She was sharing that she wanted to be really upfront about uh, the diagnosis process and the early treatment part, because we always see the before and the after and we don't see the between. Uh And so I feel like Harry is like a really good example of the between, Mm -hmm. especially for white folks who are trying to confront their Mm -hmm. in their own white supremacy. Mm -hmm. You know, is you don't have to either double down Mm -hmm. on being a racist or pretend to be so woke that you're above it all. Well, I wonder if we can come around to um, how we might apply any of these concepts in a counseling setting. So what are some of the main takeaways that you took from like a practical standpoint? One thing is their identity development. I do a lot of identity development. So um, trying to help that client figure themselves out um, because really estrangement is a little more tricky than kind of a a different sort of social um, identity that's placed on you that can be more readily seen. Mm. And but estrangement, because it's so like years of kind of this dance yeah. back and forth. And then when I finally decided to do it, how much, well, who am I now? And kind of having to do all that. So identity development and trying to like get there. Um, their understanding of self, mm-hmm. also grief, as well as right, they're going through a grieving process, grieving process of what they had hoped for family. I have a client who is really coming to terms with my family is not the family I wanted. Like, and she recently got married, and she's like, I always wanted my parents there, and that's not what the you know. And so she's really coming to terms with that. Mm-hmm. So grief, as well as them having to go through that grieving process quietly, that sort of disenfranchised grief. Yes. Because with all of that social judgment and shame and everything coming about, you know, how close, how, how readily do you want to share, right? That like, oh, I don't speak with my mother or I don't, you know, not one, you've got the, then someone's going to judge me, but oh, no, no, no. If I just then tell them, about the relationship, they'll have more empathy with me, but then it's on me to like relive that shit over and over and over and justify the estrangement. Yeah. Instead of just, Hey, I don't speak to my mother anymore. Oh, Hey, you know, and like, it's not as, as accepted. Mm -hmm. Um, so grief, anxiety, again, of that navigating relationships. Do I tell, how do I tell it's there is some parallels for sure with like a coming out process, mm-hmm. you know, and then in general, also kind of wanting to improve empathy and support for these clients. So looking also at how maybe we are asking family history questions. You know, I have like a question is like, is there anyone in their in the family that you have a concern about? You know, like, is, is that me just being a little too flippant? Is that, you know, mm-hmm. um, what's your current relationship with these. So it was just kind of looking at how could we ask these questions from the get yeah. that they don't have that overwhelming, like, oh, no, like, yeah. I have to tell another person or I have to get into it. And sure, like, that might be the reason they're coming. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the same way that we want to kind of make our intake forms and questions more 
LGBTQ friendly and, and BIPOC friendly and all that stuff? How can we make it more friendly and accepting mm-hmm. and supportive of people who have difficult families? Yeah. Which, I mean, that feels like, especially thinking about the LGBTQ plus piece that the, you know, asking questions about family structures in a way that includes the likelihood of estrangement. I mean, that mm-hmm. just feels like a necessary adjustment mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they've, mm-hmm. I don't know if likely is kind of the word, but may very well have mm-hmm. experienced some necessary estrangement. And I think that is just so important, especially for like newer counselors where mm-hmm. there's this pressure to like do multiculturalism, perform it in some sort of capacity, literally just asking a, an empathetic you know, question that makes something typically invisible, visible, mm-hmm. like that is oftentimes really all that's needed for the <clears throat> client to really start to kind of unfold and make mm-hmm. progress. We're going to play a clip um, of what yes. not to do. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of multiculturalism. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. This is a man on, I guess, TikTok and Instagram. He is He's either from Pakistan or India. I was going to say like, is that South Asia? Southeast? No, not Southeast. South? South? Mm-hmm. South for sure. Anyways. Yeah. All right. So let's. It's my impression of white therapists. And it's just been really frustrating with my mom. Like I love her, but you know, it's a little difficult to navigate. You need to set a firm boundary with your mother. You need to go up to her and say, this isn't serving me right now. So I am letting it go. Well, I just want to have an open, honest dialogue and see if we can. If something doesn't serve you, let it go. If you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. Never talk to your mother again. (laughs) Delete her from your phone and uh, lock her doors. She can never escape. That's the bound. That's your boundary. It's a boundary. (laughs) It's not your job to educate people. It's not. They need to know. They need to know that you are right. They should just know that you're always right. And it's not your job to educate people. Have you tried yoga? (laughs) (laughs) Have you tried yoga? Oh, well, yeah. All right. So we're going to shift gears a little bit and talk about uh, celebrity and stigma. Um, so there was a chapter in this book, uh, and it's called 21st century media and female mental health. So obviously we're going to be a little one dimensional here. Um, but it looked at self-disclosure around mental illness in celebrities and demonstrated that it has increased significantly over, uh, Mm -hmm. the past decade. And then there's this even bigger jump, uh, since 2018. Uh, so it found that over 70% of women, for one, sharing their mental health struggles were white, which I feel like tracks. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I think it's just interesting when we bring in certainly Harry and Meghan, um, but also these other uh, celebrities that have been really open about their mental health struggles. So mm-hmm. I personally resonate deeply with David Harbour. Stranger Things, mm-hmm. if you're not aware, which you should be. Um, so he has bipolar disorder and he's talked really openly about his experience of having been hospitalized. Mm -hmm. Um, so one thing that this article pointed out is this difference in how, uh, the public forum, I guess, handles men versus women 
in their disclosure. So for men, historically, um, you know, your mental health or mental illness is really just an indicator of your genius. Yeah. You know, it's just, you're, well, what do you expect? They're mm -hmm. creative. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the price you pay. Mm -hmm. Whereas women are like, if you have a mental illness, you are a liability. Yep. You are a threat. You are unprofessional. Mm -hmm. Like you should not be hired. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously the narrative is really significantly different. Um, so as I'm thinking about Megan's, uh, how Megan's struggle with depression was portrayed in the Netflix documentary, mm -hmm. I feel like the narrative was that like her depression was this really direct result of ongoing racial attacks and then this lack of support around those attacks. And then even the likely instigation, if we think about the relationship between the royals and the tabloids, mm -hmm. this question, are people more open to accepting the negative impact of racism as a function of this story? Because this is probably one of the first times that I've seen very publicly um, that connection being made. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm curious, do you think people, and obviously we're just kind of pontificating here, but like, do you think folks are like, well, yeah, I can see how racism would make someone depressed? Um, or is it a one-off? Like, she's just this very unique example and everyone I should get over racism. Unfortunately, I yeah. think it's a one-off. I think so too. Because we're still so behind on like, oh, you've like, you've got a problem, you fix it. Not like, the system is damaged. Yeah. You know, we're still... Right. Yeah. 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 I'm thinking about like all the eye rolling that happens mm -hmm. when someone quote unquote plays the race card, mm -hmm. you know, as like a, a way of understanding mm -hmm. a really negative experience. And I think that she's the one off because typically racism isn't thrown at you from all of this media all the time, you know? Yeah, so I right. think people are like, public. yeah, people might be like, well, yeah, racism impacted her because it was in her face all the time. She's yeah. being attacked all the time versus like, you know, the subtle mm -hmm. microaggressions and maybe some bigger stuff, but not like at that level, I would mm -hmm. imagine. What I sort of took away as being kind of a downside of that connection is that th this is like one really very public example of depression being framed as really only being caused by external circumstances. So, yeah. you know, it really leaves out the biological predisposition. Mm -hmm. And the other piece that I was just like really kind of ripping my hair out about is like, nobody was talking about the timing of this just happened to be during and after her pregnancy. So yeah. like, no discussion yeah. of and I get that it wouldn't have supported the narrative of how awful it was exactly. to have said, and also she has PPD. Yeah. yeah. So, but that was just kind of enraging to me. Oh yeah. The fact that they like didn't talk about it. Um, the fact even that this whole hubbub between her name's not Mary, it's Megan. Megan. <laughs> Harry and Megan, Mary. <laughs> right. Megan and Kate had this huge falling out um, over Princess Charlotte's dress for the wedding. Also, Kate just had a baby three weeks earlier. Right. So, like, can everyone calm down? Yeah. It's not. I mean, I did weird, weird shit. So weird. You know, um, they all seemed very reasonable yeah. when it was happening. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, they just kind of keep taking that apart. And I do exactly what, what you said. If she had mentioned at all uh 
I, I've been low before, blah, 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 anything like that. I think they would have been like, yeah. this has nothing to do with race. Which sucks because like, what a terrible trade-off to have to make, right? right? Like you can either have your depression sort of acknowledged and accepted, mm -hmm. or you can have racism acknowledged, yeah. but you can't have both. No, no, no. Let's no. don't ask for too yeah. much. No. Ooh, that's yeah. gross. Um, so this chapter, um, also mentioned uh, a transition in like looking at this period from 2009 to 2018 and sort of celebrity disclosure. It looked at what they called a transition from speculation to confession. Mm -hmm. So earlier in that time frame, the media would target people like good Lord Britney Spears, right? Lindsay Lohan, Amy Winehouse to so show pictures of them just looking all kinds of strung out. And then the the headline would be like, has she finally lost it? Yeah. Sensationalized. Yes. Yep. And it seemed like there was kind of a similar parallel between the media treatment of Diana, which obviously uh -huh. predates this like 2008 mm -hmm. um, time frame, but um, versus Megan. So Megan at least had the resources and the opening to shift the narrative a little bit. But gosh, the it's so stark, the speculation versus confession mm -hmm. between Diana and Megan. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, so there was this great quote, too, that kind of went along with that by um, Gaston Franson. Uh, so they said, psychological instability for male artists is associated with perseverance, credibility, authenticity. But for female artists, uh, mental breakdown is seen as a sign of failure, uh, inherent instability or a lack of resilience. Um, he even words it differently. Psychological instability versus mental breakdown. Oh, all right. Look at you with your internalized stigma, Gaston. Okay. Um, I also don't know what a breakdown is, to be perfectly what honest. What is a breakdown? You know, know, like a nervous breakdown. Well, I don't know what that is. I mean, I feel like I qualify multiple uh -huh. times a week. But, and then like, oh, they, they go in for a nervous, they went into the hospital for a nervous breakdown. Because to me, what that... Sh quote, like should be was you had a psychotic break or exactly. manic episode. Yes. Completely but I know that reality. that's not what we're talking no, about. It's so what is a mental breakdown for me is like, so when celebrities do disclose that they have a mental illness, like how does that actually impact stigma? I feel like there is still going to be a lot of stigma associated with them getting treatment. Yeah. You know, yeah. so you can have it, but like if you're actually putting effort into managing it in some mm -hmm. kind of way that feels like there's still this liability aspect yeah. to it. Well, because we want you to be done with it. Yeah. Right. You the know? naming should be enough. Yeah. Yeah. You're done with it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of like client examples too of, um, I mean, certainly I think there for a lot of clients, particularly like bipolar disorder, mm -hmm. um, the naming of it, the diagnosing of it, does have a huge impact, yeah. you know, because it's like, oh, wow, I just thought I was and I don't understand this distinction necessarily. I just thought I was crazy. Is naming it enough publicly? I mean, absolutely not, because then kind of even like how you said, is that before and after we don't we don't want to see the middle, mm -hmm. like how gritty and hard and, you know, that and up and down. Yeah. And that um, there's one meme or video where it's like this little girl in a teacup, like smiling and then going, ah. <laughs> and it's yeah, like right. what I thought getting mental health was going to be and then what it actually right. is. And they're like, ah, you know, yeah. and because it is, it's so hard. It's so much work. Mm -hmm. You are doing the really hard thing that is also really under the radar. Yeah. You know, right. you are like analyzing every, you know, for a while, right? Mm -hmm. Like when your blinders are off, you're analyzing every thought you have, every interaction you have. Yeah. It's 
tiring. Yeah. And a lot of my clients as well, who, especially ones who are younger and diagnosed with something that more so I see it with depression that like, this is not, this is, this is going to be a lifelong thing, or at mm -hmm. least like a years thing. A while. Like they want it to be done. Yeah. Right. Like when am I going to be better? Right. Which, and I have a lot of compassion for that mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. like, of course we don't want our suffering to endure for mm -hmm. all time. Um, and yeah, trying to adjust expectations mm -hmm. around what that might look like. And I wonder, this is also off topic, if that has any difference between like their age and where mm. they are, just prefrontal cortex developed. Right. And like me at my age, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to take my medicine for the rest of my life. I'm never going to try and get yeah. off of it. Don't even ask me to stop taking the meds. It's it's helped and it's wonderful. Yeah. And I don't even want to go back to right on the off chance, Yeah, you know, versus developmental idea of like, what's the future? Yeah. I mean, I think too, and I mean, it's, I don't know how many parallels I can draw because obviously like we're in the field. Mm -hmm. So hopefully we don't have as much stigma <laughs> in terms of like how we feel about uh, mental health diagnoses. But I mean, it just feels so natural and normal to me to, for one, keep taking my meds, but also to just embrace that. Yeah, I have this, you know, particular condition. And it's because my brain doesn't like progesterone. Yeah. Like it's not, but you know, there's, thankfully there's like not a lot mm -hmm. of baggage associated, I think because of the way I think about yeah, yeah. why it's happening. Yeah. I don't question or like go into a corner to take a Claritin. Right. Yeah. And that is literally my body attacking pollen for no reason. No apparent reason. Mm -hmm. Why? Why has it been so hard, I guess, to move the messaging in that direction that toward that biological model. is that moral model that more, it's been so long yeah that that moral model is there mm -hmm. so long talking about demi lovato and selena gomez um so their celebrity health narratives this is a quote and the numerous confessions so in that confession not just uh speculation place um their numerous confessions from female stars about their own mental health issues from 2015 and onwards seem to suggest that the ideal post-feminist and neoliberal subject who works on herself constantly to achieve success has some room for failure as long as it is successfully overcome. Mm -hmm. So back to that before and after. That feels like something that is also unique about the, at least Harry's part of the story, right? Mm -hmm. Where, you know, he's actually like showing the butterfly yeah. taps yep. for EMDR, yep. you know, and I've, I've never seen anyone saying, here's what happened in my treatment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's um, so that's one thing that David Harbour happened to mention. If you do a deep dive on every interview he's ever <laughs> given, you will learn um, that he hopefully is writing a book about his experience oh. of being in a hospital. Uh huh. And especially when you add that to sort of how inaccessible mental health still is for so many people. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's to say, yes, I have depression and now I don't have depression because mm -hmm. I got treatment. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many barriers for people mm -hmm. to actually then act on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For me, also the the celebrity disclosure, Harry and Megan, it so also teach and use them as ways for my students to get like a firsthand perspective or a different yeah, perspective. Right. I taught like an intro to substance use course and the vast majority, and I took two classes at the same time, vast majority were like, like, I don't want to be a substance use counselor. This has nothing to do with me. But so we watched the entire like Demi Lovato documentary to show them one way that it could look. Mm -hmm. um, but then also really talking about like 
giving them different narratives, giving them different ways to look at PTSD, at postpartum, all this sort of stuff. So that my hope is also when they're then is then we talk about what stereotypes did you keep seeing? Mm -hmm. And then how, if you then are maybe going to watch something in the future with a partner, with a friend, with a whatever, you can get on your soapbox and be like, that's not how it is. That's not true. Yeah. And that's, I think, needs to happen so much more. So much more. Because that's where most people are getting their mental health education from. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's from these really two-dimensional and stigmatized examples. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you mentioned the teaching aspect of that because it feels like such an important thing for counselor educators to be aware of and supervisors to be aware of is like how little context students may have, Mm -hmm. you know? So, I mean, I generally assume that most people who come to mental health come because they've struggled with mental health Mm -hmm. um, because that was the case for me. Mm -hmm. And that's not always the case though. Mm -hmm. So they may have been observers, you know, they, they may have very little context. Mm -hmm. And so they're pulling from these stigmatized examples. I think that's so important that we're not, facilitating stigma within the field by not naming it, calling it out, and then providing these actually realistic Mm -hmm. examples of what it's like. All right. So we're winding down. Um, So if we think about how this celebrity stigma piece um, might actually show up in counseling relationships, um, it brings to mind also this element of self-disclosure. So Mm -hmm. not just sort of acknowledging for yourself that you have some sort of condition, but then Mm -hmm. how do you, uh, address or not address that in these other spheres of life. And so I'm usually talking with clients about self-disclosure, like in work environments or school Mm -hmm, environments, mm -hmm. um, as it relates to like severe mental illness or PTSD. And we're both rehab counseling Mm -hmm, folks. So for mm -hmm. me, that also touches on, you know, is it safe for you to seek accommodations? Yeah. You know, will there be some sort of backlash if you Mm -hmm. name that you have some sort of mental Mm -hmm. health condition? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and which is so hard to actually like litigate and pin down. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. it's so hard to fight back against that. Yeah. Well, and I do also that like self-advocacy with, um, friends and loved ones because Mm. they might also not feel like they can, like this, I'm thinking about like these clients who maybe will start to go into a low Mm -hmm. and their partners, their friends, just, they want to help. They don't know what to do. Um, they might say like a, come on, just feel better or whatever. So like, if we can, if you can actually understand yourself and what you need, you can then advocate for yourself and educate that person. So then that person also feels more comfortable Mm -hmm. in what to do. So like, it'll be as simple as telling that person, it could be as simple as telling that person to be like, Hey, just see if I've had water. Like you really don't need to do anything. Yeah. Just see if I've had water today. And don't be mad if I'm like, No, leave me alone. Yeah. But like that. And so I think once when the person is more comfortable Mm self-disclosing, then they make the other person more comfortable in Mm -hmm. like, oh, it's not this weird, weird monster with no, like this nebulous sort of thing. It's a, oh, yeah, she's going to be on the couch today and I'm just going to check in, see if she's got water. Yeah. Um, And then if it gets to this point, then I'll do this. And it just gives people more framework. Mm -hmm. So I feel like a lot of those who are watching from the outside someone else, there's that helplessness and they yeah. want to do something. Right. We want to fix it. Right. Because it's before and after it's got to right. be done. We you want should it be done. Yeah. And I feel pulled to the other side of that dialectic, which is that <laughs> people who are the supports of a person who is struggling, like 
you need to educate yourselves. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. And like the, the realism of uh -huh. it is that it is likely going to be more skillful if the person who is struggling mm -hmm. also has some capacity to say, here's what I need and here's what I don't need. Yeah. And because it's going to be different also for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I say, um, go give them a hug and your person is a non-toucher. Yeah. Don't do, that. don't do that. Ask what they actually want. Yeah. Yeah. It brings them mind. I actually had a client who had really severe PTSD, just so many traumas, like mm -hmm. in such a short period of time. And, um, her partner actually asked if he could come to a session and just like, can you just tell me what mm -hmm. PTSD is mm -hmm. and like how it works? Mm -hmm. And what a game changer that mm -hmm. was because so many of the things that he was personalizing, she's mad at me mm -hmm. um, or that he was blameful and judgy of mm -hmm. like, well, just why are you spaced out right now? I just asked you the same thing three times. Mm -hmm. well, well, like she's 10 feet above her body right now. Mm -hmm. She's dissociating mm -hmm. um, is like what an impact just very basic psychoeducation yes. can have. Yes. And speaking of celebrity, Selena Gomez really wants to, and I think she started the process of like creating a bill where there is more mental health education throughout K through 12. Oh, wow. Great yeah. idea. And, and same thing with like Harry, I don't want him to then be seen as like the end all be all PTSD. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like the only example of it, yeah. especially because I mean, good Lord, he's got some of the most privileged identities you can possibly have. He's a prince. He's a, literally a prince. <laughs> a prince. When I, um, I, this is a complete side note, but when they got engaged, so my sister was studying in Paris at the time. Um, and I, like, <laughs> I called her and I was like, Oh my God, go find a Royal to marry. And she's like, why? I don't want to. And I was like, but we've just now learned they can marry anyone. It, yeah. Like, so you're saying there's a chance. I was like, come on. And she's like, I don't <laughs> want this lifestyle. And I was like, but I do. You could be a princess. <laughs> I don't want this. And apparently that's terrible. Yeah. As we've now learned. Nobody actually wants that. Yeah. Still do. Just a little bit. Still do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I think we've uh, about covered what we could possibly cover that is relevant to the field of mental health with Harry and Megan. There, I think we could End like continue. Um, <laughs> and also, I mean, I'm a little concerned that like it, it sounds like it would be at least a little unpleasant to make your life's work, your mental health struggles. Yeah. And yet, I mean, here we are therapists making. I mean, that's what <laughs> we're just not being paid Never mind. as much as Never a mind. Netflix. It's probably uh, fine. It's probably yeah. fine. They'll be fine. <laughs> getting a lot more money for it than we are. Uh, <laughs> But I mean, he did. And this is a part of his story, at least, that seems consistent, is that he and Willie um, developed that like mental health awareness platform way before mm -hmm. he and Megan got together. So, yeah. I mean, they they and Kate had been like into it. So that's was what seems a little also like it's consistent, like yeah. he's not going from like a to z he's yeah. kind of staying on it's one a, yeah consistent yeah. all right well uh that's our show for today folks thanks for joining us um and also if you would like some credit for your time with us today um if you would like something to show for your time <laughs> with us today <laughs> if you would also just like to continue to talk about harry and megan you can call me yeah we can we'll provide her personal cell phone number <laughs> Set up a 1-800. I want to talk about Harry. It'll be like that post-its thing, you know, yeah. that post-its, the secrets page. Yeah.
Um, you can check us out. Head on over to um, beyondtherapy.thinkific.com. So for counselors, uh, that's a way that you can get credit for your time. Yeah. And follow us on Instagram at Beyond Therapy Podcast. So we would love to hear your thoughts about Harriet and Megan naturally. Um, mm. But also if you have other ideas for topics or speakers, we're always open to that. So thanks for listening. Take care. Bye. Beyond Therapy is brought to you by Creaseman Counseling, mental wellness for all. Visit www.creaseman-counseling.com for more information. Thanks for listening. I hear their cries. I hear them calling to me. Don't hide from the pain.